Welcome, everyone, back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Chris. And I'm your other host, DM Neil, a.k.a. Joe And Neil, really excited about this episode because for a while now, I don't even remember how many episodes, but we accidentally misplaced our mailbag of holding and it mysteriously reappeared again. Yeah, go ahead. Tell them, tell them what happened. I don't know what happened. It was one of the turns they hit and they put it in a handy haversack. Uh, it created a portal to the astral plane <laughs> for a hot second. Um, luckily, we tied a uh, rope to Mitch, sent him in, and it showed back up. Uh, hopefully, he will at some point. But that means we have found some... Unfortunately, old emails. Hopefully, all these people are still listening and loving that we haven't answered them. <laughs> yes. So, best of luck, Mitch, if you are in the Astral Sea, wherever you might be. Uh, we miss you. Godspeed. Is that a thing? I don't know. Would he? I don't know. Whatever. Go for it, Mitch. You'll you'll be fine. But with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So our first one comes from DM Turbo. Uh, and this is in response to episode 197, where we started to get into the topic of some symbiont trees. Um, and so I have an important distinction that we'll get to, um, but they felt that trees aren't sentient creatures, but instead... Mm, this is going to suck because my phone's going to um, <laughs> Instead, they act more like Siri and you're accessing information rather than and having it translated into something that's understandable. Um, so what are your thoughts on that approach? And then we'll get into some of mine. And thankfully, my phone didn't go off. I know. I'm, I was so confused. Okay. Can you just off air? Can you say what you said one more time to me? Because I was expecting to hear Siri on your side. Oh, okay. So I was not paying attention to what you said. So yeah, all. basically, what are your thoughts on the idea that speak with insert thing here well short of speak mm-hmm. with the dead even that so i think it's more of like the concept of the speak with spells functioning as sentience and so it's more that you're accessing this information rather than this big back and forth conversation i'm having to figure out what does a tree sound like and come up with a character voice um and that whole thing so what's your thoughts on this approach of more of like accessing information bank rather than like an actual character on the other side. So yeah, I guess I'm a little confused still. Are they like downloading all of the tree's memory? Is that like what they're doing? Uh, so yeah, so the idea would be that like instead of like Christopher Barkin um, and you do like a Christopher yeah, yeah, yeah. Walken impression for the tree, you ask, did you see any orcs that come by? This is the example that they used when they wrote in. And it would be like three orcs walked by seven days ago. Oh, got it. So it's like you're you're typing into Google in a way okay yes yeah yeah i mean i think i think it's a really interesting so i think it's a couple things i think it's a great idea i think for especially for people who are not really into because let's be real people that use like speak with trees or speak with the dead like they're kind of hoping that there's a character behind it Mm -hmm. right and so not everybody is super great at pulling out an accent out of nowhere or pulling out a characteristic of this tree that is now forever going to be laughed at because you had to come up with it on the spot. I think, yeah, it's kind of like 
you know, I think about like trail cams, you know, in a way that people use for hunting where it's oh, like yeah. you could access, ask this tree a question and it's almost like Google or a trail cam where it's like it can relay information back very easily, you know, like how many, how long ago was the last time you saw somebody? And it could very easily be like a week ago. I saw a tiefling was here, you know, Mm. if that's, and if that's the character that they're looking for, if they were like following tracks of this character through the woods, like it'd be super easy to do that. I think it's, I I think there's a misconception that when somebody uses that spell, that it has to be you coming up with a character every single time that now is forever going to be remembered um, as, you know, a tree with this voice. So yeah, I think it's super easy just to say like, yep, it saw, it saw a tiefling three days ago and that's that's good enough you know yeah the nuance of the terms of sentient and sapience i was kind of where i get a little bit lost in the weeds totally yeah. intentional on saying that um but, <laughs> but i like both ways like if you're the kind of person that does want to give every tree its own voice that's awesome but if you also did want it as this collective resource and kind of figuring out like how far does that resource go just like it's only this tree or do you have a more grandiose concept of like how they're interconnected and they could ask mm-hmm. the next tree um, and you kind of have like this processing time. Um, so yes, well done DM Turbo. I like it. But that leads us to DM Bedlam. So they have a once a month group. Um, I feel that pain uh, because they mm. kind of mentioned that it's that it has its own joy and only meeting once a month yep uh, but yep. it's a homebrew setting in 3.5 and the characters have a varying degree of morality the party is exclusively neutral which is made up of true neutral and lawful neutral but how do they get them to care about each other so it seems like the it's an urban setting so there's this ability to adapt into more individualistic ideas but they're how do how do they bring cohesion to this group? Yeah, to like care about each other is kind of what they're asking. Yeah, I mean, I think about like one of the truest neutral characters. I guess he's probably neutral good is like Robin Hood. You know, mm-hmm. I think about him and this idea of like neutrality means that you aren't either good or bad. You just find things that promote whatever it is that you're going after in a sense that's a very poor description of it but like for robin hood robin hood wasn't some kind of robot who didn't care about anybody else right like he had little john who was probably also on that neutral spectrum as well who they were like best friends i mean you can think about friar tuck in there like obviously cared about those other individuals that were a part of his group even though he was a neutral character like relationships still happen just because you're neutral. It doesn't mean that you like swing from evil to good. Like you're still a creature who has feelings, who has attachments, who cares about this group of people that you're with. Like you're not purposely going to be like, oh, well, I, I could care less if this decision that I make hurts the person that I care about. Like you're not, you're not a, your characters aren't jerks just because they're neutral. They still have feelings. They still care. They still take those things into um, perspective. They also just might not have to adhere to the normal boundaries of getting things done that either an evil character or a good character has to specifically, or sorry, a lawful character or an evil character have to align themselves with in order to get a task done. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, regardless of the 
alignment of any one character is, I mean, for good, for evil, neutral, lawful. The whole alignment thing is the what is the what is the mutual benefit for the group being together. That's what you need to lean into. Like it doesn't really matter about the alignment because if the lawful evil character sees the mutual benefit of a chaotic good player or player character and they're working together and both people feel like their goals are being met then they'll still be in the party together it's when those goals don't align anymore that there is that that conflict and there's certainly conflict while they're together but as long as those their larger goals are being met sure yeah yeah i just think the common misconception is that like evil characters don't care about anybody but themselves neutral characters don't care about anybody at all they're just crazy and lawful characters are the only ones that can have empathy and have relationships like i think that's just that that's that's never been true but that's kind of often the caricature that each of those classes is kind of given but you can have an entirely group of evil people or evil alignments that care deeply for each other because they're friends they just happen to be evil Uh, yeah the neutrality and the balance that you think is sometimes manifest in the concept of like well I saved this orphanage, so next week I'll burn this one down. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, it all yeah. evens out in the end. Um, it works fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. That's yeah, called that's, bipolar. That's, <laughs> it will not work out well in the end. Oh, okay. We have another. This one comes from DM Carlin. So we were thinking of different ways to add more to mounted combat. Uh, you don't have as much in 5th edition. Uh, you have the feet trees that exist in 3.5 where you start mounted combat. And you start to add more and more and more. So they were inspired by, and this is why you read the Dungeon Master's Guide and all the, the, the Monster Manual and all those things. So they were inspired by Flyby Attack for the Giant Owl, which, again, my 3.5 days made me think of, yeah, Ride by Attack, mm-hmm. which isn't as much a thing, but basically giving that to the character. So uh, so do you think this is a, so my question based on this idea just to see how you feel is do you think this is a good addition or potentially overpowered yeah i think i think it depends on one what type of game you're playing and two what type of dungeon master you are because if you are the type of dungeon master where it's like dungeon master versus players you're probably going to be like no that's going to be really overpowered if you're a dungeon master that really wants to see their players succeed and it's a mutual story, like for me, I think about, yeah, that'd be super cool. I would love to figure out a way for a character to figure out how to make flyby attacks with their giant owl mount. That sounds so cool. And your players are having a blast doing it, you know? And so if it's going to enhance your game, like, and the fun that your characters are having, obviously there's limitations to that. You're not going to make them extremely op you'll probably work on it as you figure it out i would say yeah go for it i love the idea of giving players really fun things that they can do with their mounts if that's included as flyby attack great um you know i wonder if there's some sort of mechanic that you could do of like yeah you can do that a giant owl isn't necessarily trained for combat And so you might have, or being controlled in combat, so you might have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to learn how to use that trait. You know, you might have to learn how to mount an owl with the appropriate um, 
equipment in order to be able to fly it and control it and tell it to dive and tell it to attack, you know, and that might cost you 500 gold to be able to do that, you know? So I think there's no shortage of ways to make it happen. And it also depends on what sort of game you want to play with your, with your players. Yeah. So part of it is also like trying to think of it inside the fifth edition mechanics, Uh, because part of it is technically, I mean, technically you can do that. I mean, you could do a run by attack as well, because depending on how much movement you have and where the other person is, you run up, you, you attack them and you run the rest of your movement away. Um, And so then you have mounted combatant where if you take that feat, then you have advantage against unmounted creatures. And you can you can force an attack targeted at your mount to target you instead. And if your mount is subjected to an effect that allows a deck save for only half, it instead takes no damage if it succeeds and only half if it fails. So none of that. I'm only pointing it out because none of that has to do with what we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, so really, I, I like the idea, especially if it's against some, someone that is unmounted. That's where I would... Yeah. Take because basically you would have suffer an opportunity attack, but I would remove that if you are mounted and they mm-hmm. are not. And then if they are mounted, then again, because that goes back to what kind of campaign are you playing? Is it for like a uh, most scenarios? I like it. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. If it's um, if it's a one off, then making it like oh, we have these awesome mounts and it's it's so cool, or we're in this bigger battle and we've decided to join the cavalry and so then we're awesome that's awesome uh or we're mounted all the time and then it comes up more that like we're battling against others that are mounted so then we lose that advantage uh and then we're just kind of even ups on those that have it here i mean so i I do this with my players in a in a sense they have um they have riding wolves in my current campaign Right? They're not dire wolves because I didn't want them to be extremely overpowered, but I took like a regular wolf, buffed it a little bit, and gave it to them as a mount. Right, Something fun to do. But their hit points are also like 20. So depending on what level you're at too, a giant owl only has 19 hit points. Yeah. So it might be that thing where it's like you go in for a mounted attack, they might also shoot you. And you might be up in the air after your flight, after your flyby mm-hmm. attack, and you might come plummeting down to the ground from 30 feet. You know, like there's that sort of thing too, where it's like, do you want to get yeah. that close? So it might, it might actually just work itself out in the, in the end. I mean, I hate to say that, but like, because most of these things are such low, like, especially a giant owl has 19 hit points, like that can be taken out pretty easily by quite a few things, you know, in a couple of, like, if you're in a, if you're in a battle with a bunch of baddies who have, who have bows and arrows and they're seeing this owl constantly coming down, picking people off, they're going to start shooting for the thing that's drawing the most attention, you know, and somebody might come plummeting out of the ground from 50 feet up in the air and suffer a bunch of damage. So there's all that, that you have to take into consideration as well in a battle. Yeah. And one of the things is also, I mean, it's a, it's a bigger gaming, DMing philosophy I have is if there's a justifiable reason why every person has a feat, then every person has a feat. Mm-hmm. Like, I played in a campaign where the world um, the setup was that it was just more ambient magic in general, so that every character was just given magic initiate. Yeah. Re- regardless. So that would be the same thing. So if I have this mounted campaign that I want to play in, there's no reason why everyone didn't learn 
when they were growing up. Yeah, I mean, like you think about, yeah, I mean, you think about Rohan, like riders of Rohan, like everybody probably who's young probably has learned how to ride a horse. It's clear in the movie that like both men and women know how to ride horses pretty well, you know? So yeah, I think that's the exact thing you're trying to get at is if it fits the world, yeah, go for it. Allow them to allow them to have that. Yeah. So the next one is from DM Gruel Guildmage. Uh, this is a super fun one. Uh, we've already kind of gone all over them together. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. uh, two characters hate each other in game with in game character reasons. Basically, one is a character who kind of hates everybody, one is a character who's kind of a jerk. Okay. Uh, but the real issue is that the players don't like each other. Uh, and it's a classic, I feel like a classic table setup where um, some people are really quick to use the old band hammer um, <laughs> and depending on depending on your setup that is an option it certainly is an option not every table is for every person we've said it before we'll say it again but what often ends up happening is these are close friends and that isn't really an mm-hmm. option to remove those people from the game so their question is what what's next <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but you kind of have to address it in some way, shape or form, because it's probably not just you that's noticing it. And it's probably not just them that are playing the game. Like everybody feels that tension through and through all the time, every time they come to the table. Yeah. And so I was thinking about it because we've only made quicker notes and I'm trying to remember more of the emails. I think the term that was used was like, it's not that problematic. No, it's problematic enough that you you want to refer to it is that way and then ask someone else um for their advice on the topic so i think that is one of the biggest things just to have that conversation and knowing see i don't even want to say knowing your players i want to change that for this specific thing knowing your friends you know how that looks because you can also like in one of the things that they're the overarching statement of just bringing up at the table that might not work like it it sounds like that might not so you may need to approach people individually approach them both together outside of the table or if it does work because you feel that the other players are having such a problem maybe approaching the table is the right answer but yeah you gotta figure it out yeah anytime and i've I've had to do this a couple of times over the years like anytime I, i pay very close attention to this like when somebody's character especially on a group that's supposed to work well together is constantly picking on another one of the characters, even if it just comes off as joking. I always send a text or I ask to stay on the zoom call afterwards and say like, Hey, just something that I've noticed. You good? Like that, that simple question, if they're adult about it, they will answer like, yep, I'm good. Or like, Hey, tell me about the situation. Like what, what's going on? Why is this character always picking on the other one? does it carry on outside of the game? Because there is so much bullying that can happen in game that somebody wouldn't do outside of the game because of how weird detachments <laughs> with ourselves into our fantasy characters work that it's like, it, it has to be, it has to be dealt with. Yep. Otherwise it's, it's just, it's going to become even worse and worse. Usually the, the things that we hope go away only fester. And so asking that question, not coming at it. My biggest thing is I've always, I've always done it individually first. I've always just asked like, Hey, this is something I've noticed, like what's going on here rather than assuming that there's a situation bringing two people together and having it be super awkward. 
Only to find out like, oh yeah, that's just how our characters are and we couldn't care less. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or creating something that's not there uh in the first place, you know, like, oh that person's, you know. Yeah, all of that. So I usually that's usually how I handle it. I handle it usually with the person who I notice is doing like the quote unquote picking on. I usually have just a side conversation with them and just say, Hey, what's going on? Like, let's talk about this because uh it's causing tension in me. Mm. And that's like taking it away from like I mean, you can do this in all sorts of stuff. Like what I learned in pre-marriage counseling when I went through that was only speak for what you're experiencing. Don't speak on behalf of the other person. And so saying from my point of view as the dungeon master saying, hey, this is something that I've noticed. It's causing tension in me and for me as a DM because I don't know how to go forward with this. Help me understand where this is coming from. It takes all of the pressure and targeting off of that specific person that you're talking with and dealing with. And saying, hey, I'm here to help, but this is causing me tension because I don't want there to be something between us if there is something that's between the players. So classic pre-marriage counseling tactic coming through for you. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's what I do for a living sometimes. Bam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it works. Uh, so the next one we have up is DM Gordo. So they moved to virtual tabletop uh, due to the pandemic. And they didn't really mention which one, which once we get into it, it doesn't matter. They actually have a group that's been playing since like second edition. And they're super into the physical stuff. If there's a journal, there's going to be a journal. Building it different like terrain pieces, building out handouts, doing like the nine. And yeah, 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 yeah. More than I yeah. do, that's for sure. More than I do as a DM. Um, but so there, there's this move to the virtual tabletop, and it sounds like it's more of like a roll twenty. Like I can see the grid, blah blah blah. And basically, that has started to kill theater of the mind. Mm. Um, they referenced like, okay, so you, they, I go into the bar. Like a more classic version would be like. Um, or well let's play the back so basically their their example they use like i tell a player they go to the bar and they hear a bard playing music often a player would would say something to the effect of okay i take a seat in the corner and i begin listening to the bard what has started to happen with the virtual tabletops is that it's like okay so how far is the mm. way so it's gotten more crunchy rather than just like enjoying the ambiance yeah yeah, and so then also talked about like trying to add some visuals and the visuals taken away from like I can't see my token, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> a gas magic missile into the darkness, <laughs> um, but like those kind of things. So their question is, what is kind of our experience with virtual tabletops and advice on how to get more of that theater of the mind into those settings? My apologies, I couldn't hear what you said. Cool. So not when I'm talking <laughs> to Siri. Yeah. But it just—I was moving my hands too much, and it was, my watch was like, "Move it up to me." <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, and this is what my group still does to this day, is virtual because the rule that we had early on in the pandemic is: if it's warm out, we'll play outside under my deck with like some lights at night and stuff, and mosquito tiki torches and all that stuff. But since it's been cold, we moved inside, and very quickly on, I made the decision to not have more maps than I needed to. And so I only have combat maps. And sometimes it's literally just a grid that I throw up and on the Zoom with the whiteboard tool, just draw a line around for the 
outline of the room. That way, it, I don't over-furnish my maps. I don't provide maps for taverns. I don't map, provide maps for towns unless it's going to require a combat scenario so that we don't lose that aspect of it. Because my players are really good at that too when I say like, hey, you go into a tavern. Here's what it looks like. What do you want to do? They're very quickly still to say, yeah, I'm going to go up to the bar and, and talk to the, the, the barkeep or the barmaid or whoever it was that you just described. But if I had a tavern out, a map with their tokens on it, they would like move their tokens around or ask me to move their token over here or over there or over there. And it's like, that just takes so much time to do. And it kills the vibe of like, okay, now it's literally become like Warhammer where we're moving everything all the time. So I just think it's one, I think, you know, again, like we talked about with the last question, talk about it with your players. If that's the type of game that they want, that's the type of game that they want. If it's not, then figure out what a good set of parameters is for you. If it's just having combat maps be on there, great. That's wonderful. And just remind players from time to time, if that's become the regular norm and you agree that you don't want that to be, just say, hey, you just sit down by the bard. Like, nothing's going to happen with the bard. The bard is not a spy. The bard is not going to blow up fireball in the tavern and you don't have to worry about how far. Like, you're just listening to music. It's okay. Yeah, and part of it is um, trying to think of more of the nuance of the scenario because I'm thinking of like, and these are not bad things. These are just things that are true of certain virtual tabletops that basically you're looking at. It's like you're staring at the battle map and then you also have video and voice. So I can see why like that turns into the focus. So the thing may be don't Um, just go to Zoom. exclusively zoom like for no reason i have literally like an animated beach scene go a ten, that's on a 10 minute loop going on behind me because i figured out <laughs> that zoom actually allows for any video file to play it just connects to that file on your computer um so sometimes i can play jurassic park by and freak out i mean you could go that far yeah i have a i have a virtual tavern that's on mine whenever i dm that has dm chris next to my name you know or next to my head. Yeah. So, so you could, yeah. So you could go that way, and you could also do screen share. Um, so the, those materials that you create, or uh, it all depends on the the level of complexity that you want to start adding, so that those elements still exist in your game. It's like we're not really going to get into a homework section so much for this episode, but one of the things I would say for this particular question is that the homework would be go look at some streamed games that you really enjoy because they had to adapt because it's their livelihood that is kind of out on the hook. Mm-hmm. Out what mm-hmm. for visuals and figure out how that adapts to you. Because I know the other thing I mentioned it probably mm-hmm. on the um, we kept playing Pandemic Legacy with a group of friends we did it remotely. So we would basically have a laptop pointed at myself and my wife and then mm-hmm. we would have like, uh, I put an iPod on a try or I no iPad on a tripod. There we go. Uh, and it was pointed down at the board that way. So I was simultaneously casting the board seat and myself. And then the other, we would yeah. switch um, occasionally and the other couple would do the same thing. And so you could do that. So um, I've done that as well for like a, like basically the pseudo play-by-post sometimes with the Marco Polo where I'll set out the grid and I'll just do video um, or I can switch it and I can show an image the whole time playing music in the background. And so I think it's trying to figure out. It's actually what I do a lot at my job as well because people are like, what do we do? We're working remotely. It's yeah. crazy. And, I, and then my question is always, I try and do it as, as best I can. But my question is always, well, what would you do? In the yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, do that. 
like if, if it works, we'll figure out how to make it work as close as possible to that. Um, so mm-hmm. that would be mm-hmm. my suggestion is try, if there's a way that you can do it easily, try doing it without the virtual tabletop and see what that is like. Um, and then add back the elements of that virtual tabletop that you want to. So the next one we have is from DM Ramahan. So he and his wife are foster parents, and he said at the time of writing the email into us, there were six different kids in the house. Um, so it's definitely a very somewhat consistent group, um, depending on what the kids want to do, what kids are still there, what kids have moved to different homes, things like that. So having a consistent group with is sometimes difficult, and like who's available, who even wants to play is inconsistent. So the solution he came up with isn't awesome way to adapt what's often referred to as the West March approach, where a quick 10,000 foot overview, West March, we've got world that we all play in, there's 20 people that play in it, um, and whoever wants to play, whoever gets together, and the players basically offer up what they'd like to do, the DM, whoever it happens to be, runs it, and it's just this kind of living world. So that said, basically they've adapted to a literal and physical adventure board in house whoa and so there it is it's just like hanging out so then whoever wants to play like goes and kind of looks at what's on the internet right now they even talked about like switching it up like on a weekly basis i mean obviously if stuff is played through then you can't do it anymore but then they just go and they pull it down and it's usually like an hour or two hour adventure per, per hook and they place these restrictions i'll read it verbatim i did not think about them at all after putting them up on the board and once one of the kids says that they want to run one i have 15 minutes to prep for the game and the goal is have fun be creative and think of the fun. that's sweet so it's literally a, a an adventure board that they have like on a wall somewhere that they that's pretty stinking cool yeah it makes me think of like um i mean counts games but my two thoughts like uh, world of warcraft when you like get to a new town and you can wander over and there's like the little question or the little exclamation point yeah, over yeah. The actual board, and you click on it and they're yeah like, they're the quest like ready to go and then you go do that they've literally created their own mercenary guild yeah. in yeah. their house which is yeah, super it cool wanted. it could be i have rats in my basement it could be so many cool things or and i love the idea of also, maybe like a way that you and i don't feel so bad after we're done with like a, a top 10 episode because <laughs> you can just write them down and just like they're just over <laughs> on this board over here and yeah. people can choose them as they want to or not when they don't yeah yeah, so that's super cool. So, I mean, that's like, yeah, there's four at the time. Great. Four people are sitting down or one's gone at school that day. It's three, you know, like, it, it, so this is also the kind of cool part. Like, I imagine in a mercenary guild or in a mercenary guild, some guild members go out, do an adventure. They come back. Somebody was gone at the time of the guild uh, thing being picked up, the whatever you call it, the um, job being picked up. They get to come back and tell all the stories. And the person's like, oh, man. I totally missed out on that. I totally wish I could have been yeah. there. Like, it's it's literally like you're doing an actual mercenary guild in your house, which is really fun. I mean, I, I start to spiral out with like a lot of addition, additional questions that I would like to ask. Um, we probably will follow up. But the idea of how much is it being documented, how progressive are the character levels of the characters? Do you have a mixed character group? Do you not? Um, that's so good because it also makes me think then also to like um josh and matt from mm-hmm. detentions and dragons like that could be a really good way for somebody to set up or even you like so thinking like at your 
classroom or your D&D club at school, or if your youth group had a D&D club, like setting up this adventure board, and then that's just like somebody just pulls an adventure off and then go play with whatever group happens to be there rather than having like this. Yeah. Yeah, you you legit say like, I mean, you have a and d club at the library or youth group or school or whatever. And it's like, hey, we have D&D once a week, every Monday afternoon. Whoever shows up, like you are the guild that day. You are the ones pulling the job off the board. You come back and next week at the week after somebody else comes and is like, oh, I really wanted to do that job. Oh, shoot, it's not there. Tell me like yeah. what happened, what happened, you know, so it can like create these really cool, fun moments um, that like you're creating a living, breathing guild in a sense i love that idea so much yeah well and i also think like like it just progresses out more and more because like let's say um again like i like the library idea we'll just use it as a framing device because it applies everywhere because i think the library allows for a little bit even more inconsistencies um because i think with the Mm -hmm. classroom group and the DD club or the youth group you can get you can start to get more consistency um so with the library five kids show up they do their quest Next week, 10 kids show up. Cool. As long as you have two people to play, then you divide those two groups and they pull two things off of them. And they mm-hmm. both go run those things. And like, do you, I mean, you'd have to be pretty solid with the other person. Do you, are you able to cross those tables over? Or do you just have them all meet up before and after? Because that could be the other thing. If you pull two off the board and then those kids get to decide which of the two quests they're interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. So. I'll have to say, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really fun. It's be at 34. Well done. So that's all we have for you right now, but we definitely have more. So you'll probably, I would, I would uh, expect another mailbag in short order uh, because we definitely want to catch up on all the talk about all the awesome ideas and great questions that you have. Just don't put the mailbag of holding back in the haversack. Uh, yeah, I know I have a pull hole that I thought we could store it in. <laughs> We'll just send Mitch in after. Yeah, so as, whenever he yeah, comes back. We miss you. Um, I just envisioned the scene from uh, WandaVision. I mean, where the whole rope oh, yeah. and it turns into, turns into the old school jump rope. Uh, so that's why I see <laughs> yeah, that. But if yeah. you want to email us at and tell us about the questions that you have, the stories that you have, or anything else, you can always do that at DungeonMasterBlog at gmail.com. Uh, you can go and leave us an iTunes review. The more reviews that we get, um, the more the people will find the show. You can follow us on Twitter at DM, DMs Block. That's DMS underscore Block. And you can like us on Facebook as well at Dungeon Master Block. And as always, the Dungeon Master Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network where you can check out other shows like Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Diagnostic, Detentions and Dragons, and more. And as always, we want to thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and learning the egos of all of the other people at the table. Have a great night, everyone. And keep on Dungeon Mastery.